0: seemingly unending conversation about what we're reading, uh, what we thought about it, and hopefully what we'll read next.
1: Okay, this week, or these past two weeks, I have only read three books, and I'm actually not quite done with the last one, but...
0: Almost like there was something else going on these two weeks. (laughs) Obviously, with the whole Uh, COVID thing, 2020 has been like a decade long. But the last two weeks have been like six months long. There are things that happen on, like, Wednesday. And i like, was that Wednesday or was that back in June? Because that was <laughs> forever ago. But anyway.
1: It, but the books have been a really good distraction. So... Um, I'm going to start back at the beginning. The first one that I read over this two-week cycle is called The Twelve Dates of Christmas, written by Jenny Bayless. This is um, kind of an ongoing theme for me. I'm really, really liking the holiday books, and I'm really liking the books that completely take me out of my life and just give me a (laughs) light little escape, and this one totally fit that bill. It's also set in England, which is just a bonus for me if you set your book in Europe, um, (laughs) that just... That that moves me toward wanting to read it automatically before I even know what it's about. So, so what
0: what part of England was it?
1: I don't know, tiny little towns. <laughs> I've never heard of them. <laughs> um, but there, it was it was a really fun book. Um, the other two that I read were both nonfiction. And honestly, I think for me and my reading, that also slows me down. I go through fiction a lot faster than I go through nonfiction.
0: That's interesting, because I I think I'm the opposite. Mm -mm.
1: Well, the fiction, you've got a story, and you want to know what's going to happen next. Both of these nonfiction books were good. They were both... um, very heavy though, in in a lot of ways. So the first one was Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. It was written by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski, their sisters. Um, And it was directed toward women and to the particular kind of stress that women carry in their bodies and their minds, um, both that they put on themselves and then that the culture puts on them. And then on ways that you can learn to manage that stress better and um, live a happier, healthier, more productive life. Um there were lots of things in this book that really resonated with me. Um honestly though, I think that if I were if I want to read some more about this kind of thing, I would probably turn to um authors like Brene Brown. Um you read her with me. Yeah. Um they don't they don't approach it in the same way at all. And so there there were really good things uh to be gained from this book. Um but I've learned similar things from reading authors like Brene Brown. Then the last one was Cast: The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. And this one, I'm actually still um, 50 or 60 pages from the end, but I expect to finish it tonight. This one um, has been slower because it is very difficult to read. Um, Isabel Wilkerson writes about how the caste system, the unspoken caste system in America, um, is responsible for a lot of the systemic racism in our country and points out the ways that America has set up a caste system, um, much like India's and like that of Nazi Germany. And so just the stories that she tells in this book are really, really difficult. Difficult to read, but very important to read. Um, This was a book that mattered to me as a way of looking at our country. I guess I, I guess I'd really kind of always known this in the back of my mind, but I had never heard anybody state it the way that she does. And um, I just I think that it's a really, really important to start some conversations about the way that we look at race, the way that we have treated minorities and continue to treat minorities in our country and to start bringing about the real change that's needed.
0: Well, I mean, obviously, one big part of white privilege is that it's going to generally be invisible to privileged white people. So to some extent, it seems like it's a situation where just starting to ask the questions is really the first stage. If you don't approach this with intellectual curiosity, if you're willing to just dismiss it as some sort of concoction, you're never going to see it. Uh, And if you can't see it, you can't help fix it. Uh, And if there aren't enough people trying to help fix it, it never gets fixed. And then obviously nobody, uh, I'd like to think nobody wants that. Nobody should want that. Um, But I'm always interested in these kind of things Coming from Appalachia, where there's it's very apparent within Appalachian culture that there are forces that want to keep poor white people and poor black people apart. Because if they start to see all of the things they have in common instead of all the things that they have different, they become a massive threat. Uh, to the existing power structure,
1: and that power structure and that separation is a huge focus in this book. And the idea that um, white people have to keep this caste system together, um, or risk losing their dominance in society. And I really, I felt kind of dumb as I started reading this book, that I had never organized it in my brain in this way before. There's just so much to learn. <laughs> There just, there really is. But I want to be um, on the side of pushing for justice. Sure, sure. Those were my books for this, these past two weeks. And then, of course, I also read the one we're going to talk about some more in just a few minutes.
0: Well, you're ahead of me and that you managed to get through four. I got through three. And like you, uh, I mostly just went to a book when I wanted to get away. There are some really interesting history uh, cultural, political books. Some of them are already on my shelf, but I just could not go there right now. It felt too close to the bone. It right. was like reading about a disease when you're about to be treated for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so it's coming. I'm really looking forward to John Meacham's book about John Lewis. That one is at the absolute top of my list and I am looking forward to tearing into that.
1: Did I did I buy you that?
0: uh yes yes you did okay awesome well bonus point for you (laughs) but but this time two books plus the uh, featured book uh the only one i got through on my own was a book called blue monday by a fellow named danny gallagher and danny's a, a internet friend of mine danny wrote about the montreal expos in 1981 uh always fascinated by the expos because of you know, I grew up with the Expos as a team, and they're gone. And that's not the way sports tends to go. Sports tends to go that you know we got 20 teams when you're a kid, and now we got 30 teams, and you know they they add more. They don't take away. Uh, but the Expos are gone, and uh, and Danny's a Canadian baseball junkie, and and he delivered a lot of interesting insight. Uh, on how the Expos were built and on the guys who were there. The 1981 team came up just short of the World Series. They never reached it in Montreal. Uh, Mm. So an interesting read. Yeah. And then our daughter read Moneyball with me, uh, which is an old (laughs) favorite of mine. I dug it back out, Michael Lewis. Uh, She's 11. And so I would censor parts of the book. uh, But The fundamental premise was one I thought she would find interesting. Of course, Moneyball is about the economic inequality in baseball and how you deal with that. How do you run a business where you've got one-fifth of the money of your outstanding competitors, and yet you beat them head-to-head. Obviously, you got to outthink them. You can't outspend them, so you have to find hidden value. And I knew she was getting it one day uh, when we were talking about an athlete who was kind of a funny-looking guy, and she said, stealing the line directly from Moneyball, hey, we're not selling blue jeans here. (laughs) You know,
1: when you said that you wanted to read Moneyball with her, I kind of rolled my eyes because she is... Very much like me in that she gets, she digs into a good story. And I read Moneyball an embarrassing amount of time ago because I don't remember the (laughs) book very well. But um, I knew that it wasn't that kind of a story. So I didn't think that this would last very long. But I overheard some of the conversations that you guys had about it. And I was really impressed by how much she was getting from it and how much she really did seem to enjoy it.
0: Well, you know, I love baseball and the World Series and all that was going on, which was good to have back, even in a weird covid way. way. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the deep dive on Moneyball is always fascinating to me. Training ourselves to think differently about problems uh, which is a very Michael Lewis kind of thing to do. I love so many of his books, and uh, and we'll probably go through one or two more of his. I'm still kind of working on his catalog. But,
1: awesome.
0: But we had a good time with it, and, and you know, it's it's funny that it's an old favorite now. I guess Billy Bean is about to leave the Oakland A's, so sadly he never really got over the hump of taking them to a championship, but so what? Uh, it, it was such an awesome intellectual experiment and and one that that i got to share with an 11 year old who who i hope will never think about baseball the same way again because i didn't after i read the book
1: we should have brought her on and let her talk with you about it here
0: yeah it, it, it's not outside the realm of possibility maybe <laughs> we'll drag her back but then i did have the combo book that we read um you know, we were kind of saying, what are we going to read? And, and I had started this book and I said, it's, it's not a bad book. Maybe you could read it. And the deeper I got into the book, the more I said, yeah, yeah, I think this is one that's worth reading.
1: <laughs> and again, I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, all right, well, you picked the last few. You should read what he wants you to read. And I read the introduction and I said, oh my gosh, this is a great book.
0: So it's A Better Man by Michael Ian Black. Uh, I know Mike Lee in black because <laughs> as a goofy, not at all cool teenager in the 1990s, he had this kind of cult TV show called the state that he was part of. And I didn't even get half of the jokes, but the half I got were so funny that I tried to never miss the show. I love the show. It lasted like five minutes. Uh, I mean, the, the the handful of us who remember it and love it uh, are are out there, and everybody else goes, what, huh?
1: Yeah, I I didn't see it at the time. I didn't see it until after we were married and you started collecting old episodes.
0: Yeah, I started finding them. And, and yeah. fortunately, they put them out on DVD now. Yeah. So. Oh,
1: that's where I saw them. You got them all on DVD. Right. Okay.
0: But uh, a lot of the people who did... Uh, uh, is it Reno 911 is that the the show that a lot of the the state alumni ended up on I think it is I... Are you
1: asking me about pop culture I know nothing <laughs> about
0: In it. any case Mike Michael <laughs> and Black's a, a a TV comedian the other place you might know him he was big in the like VH1 I love the 70s He's kind of the uh, the deadpan guy. He would come on and say something absurd with an utterly <laughs> straight face, and he that was, was funny.
1: He uh, was so fantastic on that. I loved him
0: but uh but this book is about fatherhood, and he wrote a book. For his 18-year-old son.
1: Did we say the name of this book?
0: Yes, we said that it is a Better Man by Michael Ian. And the
1: subtitle Black. is a mostly serious letter to my son.
0: Well, that we didn't do. So. <laughs> okay, I'm that sorry.
1: Helps. And
0: and uh, this is one of those times where there was kind of a gap between my expectations and the reality of the book, and I can't blame Michael Ian Black because he called the book a Better Man, which would suggest that it is in fact ultimately about, wait for it, becoming a better man. <laughs> I thought it was going to be. The typical fatherhood book. And Uh we've all read the typical fatherhood or motherhood celebrity book where you take the celebrity and they give us a few wry observations and chuckles and dump us off about a mile down the road from where they picked us up. And nobody's any the worse, but nobody's really any the better either. Yeah, they're
1: just, they're good for a few laughs. They're um, very self-deprecating. And um, that's what I thought we were getting into here, too.
0: Seemed good for election time. And, and. Lo and behold, we got a very different kettle of fish. Uh,
1: but an amazing one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Michael, his book is basically a series of self-contained essays. You could pick this book up and read a chapter. I mean, I would encourage you to start at the beginning just to kind of get the overall flavor and, and tone of the book. But that aside, they're very much self-contained. And he kind of takes a topic and tells his son and tells his readership what he wants to say about it. And the deeper I got into the book, the more profound and the more moving it became because he's such an honest, transparent, uh, very, very emotionally vulnerable book, but, but a very thoughtful book. Um, Just, just the takeaway here was very rich. There, there was a lot to chew on.
1: Well, and the theme begins at the beginning of the book. Here is who I am as a father Here's what it means to be a man, and then it evolves throughout the book as here's what it is to be a citizen of this world, a human being, um, and how you figure out your spot in all of it. Um, I, I really loved that vulnerability that he had as he wrote through it, the thoughtfulness for every single essay, and the way that he looked at, at manhood and at gender itself not actually not even just being a man but at, at how we define gender in our society why that's maybe kind of dangerous and why it's important to just listen to what people say to you about who they are and let them be those people
0: well and, and a lot of his perspective as it will do came from his own experience which i i don't want to give a massive amount of spoilers but no uh his parents were divorced uh, they're both gone now. And so he writes about them with an incredible transparency. Um,
1: As he tries to go back and figure out the answers to all the questions he never got to ask them. Well,
0: and, and that's, I guess for me, many of the most poignant moments in the book come in there. Uh, and it made me think about something that, that Springsteen talked about when he did his stage show on Broadway. He did a a long chat, and sadly, we didn't get this in our particular version. I've only seen it on the TV version of it. He didn't do this song for us. He only did it certain times. But he played the song Long Time Coming, and he talked about his dad coming to see him when they were about to have their first child, he and Patty. And he said... I almost felt like he apologized. He said, you were good to us and we weren't always good to you. And he said, what was going on here? He said, there are two kinds of people. There are ghosts and there are ancestors. Ghosts haunt you. Ancestors go with you and help you carry on forward. And he said, this was my father coming to me. And after a long, long time as a ghost asking for an ancestral role and At the best moments of this book, I felt like with his writing, Michael Ian Black was making his parents' ancestors.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. It's a really beautiful way to say it.
0: Um, Just just so many things. One of the chapters that stood out to me uh, was his chapter about war and about the military. And, And again, it's the sort of thing where knowing who he is, I expected it to be kind of snide and flippant and it wasn't at all it was a very respectful thoughtful piece about war and what it means to fight and what it means to be a man in a a culture that values violence and physical protection and what you miss if like him and like me that's just not there for you i mean it's it's not in my dna if i got drafted i suppose i would go But hopefully, as I'm 40 at this point, it's not (laughs) going to be something that's a reality in my life, as it wasn't for him. Uh, But it it started to ask really thoughtful questions about what does it mean not only to be a man, but to be an American man. And so here's this book that I thought, oh, this will be some light reading during the election. (laughs) And it wasn't. It wasn't at all. It really gave me some interesting perspective as our country is trying to figure out what does it mean to be a man. What does it mean to be a person in power? What What does does it mean mean to be an American Yeah, To
1: be a citizen. This book was not light reading about any of that, but it was very inspiring. And especially as you move toward the end of it, and he seems to be talking more about what does it mean to be a person in the world and to figure out what your unique particular role is. um, Those comparisons between what we're talking about as our country, once again, needs to look at how to reinvent itself. Um, at just those those comparisons were solid. They were some really good guidance for a position that he probably had no intention of writing about in the first place. No, I mean, he, he absolutely, <laughs> I guarantee
0: you, did not sit down and write that book thinking about what was going to be going on. I when mean, who his could
1: book came who out, could forecast
0: yeah. that? Uh, you know.
1: But and yet the truth it is, spoke is that who we are as Americans reflects, like who our country is. I mean, the identity of our country is um, reflected by how we see ourselves as individual people, and how we see our roles in our own families, and our societies, and our jobs, um, and our states. It, it, what we see as our role there is going to define all the rest of it.
0: And everything in the world is constantly changing at the political level, at the personal level. What being a man is in 2020 is not what being a man was in 1920. It's certainly not what being a man was in 1720.
1: And yet I think some of what he's saying in this book is that all of those, here's what it is to be a man today, here's what it used to be to be a man, none of that actually really has that much to say about what it is to be a man. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, we define it as a society and as a culture, but there's no one definition that fits every man.
0: You're right, and and that's part of the change. The the, the changes that the spectrum has become broader. It's, he talked.
1: Yeah, he talks about how women have been forced to figure that out. Yeah. Um, far before men have, but that this is what men have to grapple with right now.
0: Well, and and I love that the very end of the book. Very minimal spoiler here, but but <laughs> I can't help myself. Uh, I loved it. He kind of got to the end and said, "These are my experiences. Your experiences may be different. Your answers may be different, and that's okay." But women have been having conversations for a long time about what being a woman means. Men really haven't, and it's time they start. And this is a book that could be a a player in that conversation
1: he talks a lot about um yeah just that idea of having those conversations and and beginning those talks and it struck me about how the men in my life will talk to women about those things but they don't talk to each other and that's i just i think this book could be a really good starting place not whole group but like you just One-on-one things. Find somebody who you could talk to about this book and have that emotional intimacy to be able to say and and just begin it there. I don't know. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it does to me. Well... That's uh, a wrap for this time around. We'll be back in two more weeks. I'm, I'm sure we will have read, you know, 83 books now that we have nothing else to distract us uh, this time around. But uh, as ever, we invite you to join in the conversation with us. And uh, you can email us, Readers pod at gmail.com always glad to hear from anybody encourage you to subscribe give us good reviews if you like it if you don't like it give us a good review anyway because you're nice or you wouldn't still be listening
1: (laughs) (laughs) most of all just thank you for listening we appreciate you more than you know and
0: keep reading